Black Simba. This is the 12th podcast of the Scattered Hebrew series. Uh, after this one, there will only be uh, four more. So definitely working through the series here and starting to get on the last leg. Um, before I get into this one, uh, today I'm going to go over the tribe of Joseph. But I just wanted to put out there, there's, uh, there's a lot of um, words and terminology that I go through that... Um, you know, a lot of these words are new to me for sure. And so um, I try my best not to butcher the, the, the words, and, you know, and, um, and other people's culture. But uh, I, I do my best. It is what it is. OK, so I just wanted to let people know that I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, murder some of these words. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Um, Joseph was the 11th son of Jacob. So because Joseph was born in Jacob's old age, he was very fond of him. And the favored son out of all his sons. Uh, I went into that uh, early on in the series um, from the Torn Kingdom uh, podcast, if, if you haven't heard of that one. Uh, Joseph was known through the two halves, the, through the two half tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, both of these were taken into captivity and were among the ten tribes that migrated to the Americas. Jacob gave this blessing to Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh in his old age before he passed away. So he says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above. Blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. It's Genesis 49, verse 22 through 26. So because of the blessings and favor of Joseph, he was allowed two tribes through his sons Ephraim and Manasseh. Um, I brought up journal entries from European explorers that ran into some of the tribes of Reuben from the tribe of Reuben in Quito, Ecuador, that had stated that the tribe of Joseph was living on an island nearby. Uh, if you haven't heard the podcast for the tribe of Reuben, it's in there. Uh, they were alleged to be in need of education. Although they spoke Hebrew, they could neither read nor write it. The Taino natives of Puerto Rico or Boricua are the Ephraimite Hebrews they were speaking of. Um, here yet another author notes natives among the West Indies speaking corrupted Hebrew. So it says in this, uh, Ralden's chief argument in support of his view is the language of the Indians in Española, Cuba, Jamaica, and the adjoining islands. He contends that it has many resemblances to Hebrew. In fact, he even calls it corrupted Hebrew. He asserts that such names as Cuba and Haiti are Hebrew, and that they were first applied by the earliest caciques 
the chiefs or leaders, the Kassin, who discovered and peopled the islands. The names of rivers and of persons in use among the natives are derived from the Hebrew. For example, Haina, or Haina, from the Hebrew Ain, stream, Yones, from Jonah, Yake, from Jacob. And that's uh, Meyer Kurt Kaiserling, uh, Christopher Columbus and the Participation of the Jews in the Spanish and Portuguese Discoveries uh, from 1894. This consistency in natives speaking Hebrew may explain why some believe that Christopher Columbus was actually looking for the unidentified Arsareth, as stated in 2nd Esdras 13, um, the Americas, at the time, considering how many Hebrew interpreters he had with him during his voyages. So in this passage it says, Luis de Torres, a Jew who had occupied a position under the governor of Mercia and who was baptized shortly before Columbus sailed, as he understood Hebrew, Chaldee, and some Arabic, Columbus employed him as interpreter. Alonso de la Calle was also of Jewish lineage. His name was derived from the Jews Lane, from which he came. He died in Española. May 23, 1503. Rodrigo Sanchez of Segovia was a relative of the treasurer Gabriel Sanchez, and he took part in the first voyage at the particular request of Queen Isabella. The ship physician Maestre Bernal, Bernal and the surgeon Sergiano Marco were also of Jewish stock. Bernal had formerly lived in Tortosa. So this is also in uh, Meyer Kaiserling, Christopher Columbus and the Participation of the Jews uh, from 1894. It is also important to note consistency and communication of these Hebrew natives among different sources. The Ruminites in Ecuador, before they continued their migration, uh, could not have known what was going on with the tribes in the islands or where they were located unless they were able to communicate with them indicating not just that they could speak to one another, but also consistency that they had all migrated over together. Hosea the prophet spoke at length about Ephraim, along with the rest of the northern tribes. Also, unfortunately, he had mainly harsh messages for them from God. So Hosea says, Do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other peoples, for you have played the harlot against your God. You have made love for hire on every threshing floor. The threshing floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and shall eat unclean things in Assyria. So that's Hosea 9, 1 through 3. So in verse 3, is especially interesting because it states that Ephraim, in this case, the house of Israel. Sometimes Israel is referred to as Ephraim because they were the lead tribe of the northern kingdom. Um, but in verse 3, he says that they would return to Egypt. So when did Ephraim, um, Israel, ever return to Egypt? They didn't. Um, they didn't return to physical Egypt. So this is how we know that Egypt represents bondage. And we know that Hosea isn't talking about Assyrian captivity because he flatly states Assyria in the next sentence making this the distinction between two different locations anyone who has read through the horrors and early slave uh, and murders in the american holocaust by david e stannard um, knows the americas and the west indies the islands and elsewhere definitely represent new egypt now 
Also, once again, we see that when speaking of tribes from the house of Israel, Hosea prophetically states that they will return to bondage, but he doesn't say anything about them returning to Egypt in ships, because that specifically identifies the Hebrew Israelites from the house of Judah uh, when they came into the Americas, uh, which I also brought up in um, some of the other podcasts, the house of Judah, I think the tribe of Ishkar as well. Um, Let's take a look at some of the other passages in Hosea about Ephraim or Israel. Um, this one says, this is Hosea uh, chapter seven, verse eight. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Hosea seven, verse 11. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. And this is Hosea uh, nine, uh, verse 13. Just as I saw Ephraim, like Tyre, planted in a pleasant place, so Ephraim will bring out his children to the murderer. So all these passages go over the adultery of Ephraim, or Israel, and intermingling with their captors, the European colonizers in the Americas. They gave their daughters to be married, accepting the Gentile ways and abandoning Yah. Even Columbus wrote of the Taino natives. He says, they traded with us and gave us everything they had with goodwill. They took great delight in pleasing us. They are very gentle and without knowledge of what is evil, nor do they murder or steal. Your Highness may believe that in all the world, there can be no better people. They love their neighbors as themselves, and they have the sweetest talk in the world and are gentle and always laughing. And that's the Diario or the diary of Christopher Columbus' first voyage to America, 1492 through 1493, uh, page 281. So as we now know, Columbus and the rest of the Spaniards would take full advantage of the innocence of the native Taino people. All the tribes have to some degree mixed with Gentile uh, nations that they now, in, they now live in. Um, many Hebrew women, the indigenous American Hebrews of the House of Israel, and those Hebrews brought into the Americas via the transatlantic slave trade, the House of Judah, were raped, thereby a forceful mixing occurred. However, much of Ephraim, uh, the Northern Kingdom tribes, deliberately and willingly mixed with their oppressors, the Spaniards and other Europeans. This drastically lightened their skin tone, which is why they were likened to a cake unturned in comparison to their ancestors and to uh, Judah. I wanna clarify here, that the reason Hebrews were supposed to marry within their own, um, as they were supposed to marry other Hebrew Israelites, was specifically because they would often adopt the foreigners' gods and forsake Yahweh. So this was done to keep them spiritually pure. This is exactly the reason the two kingdoms of Israel was split apart to begin with. King Solomon had many foreign wives, and he allowed them to persuade his heart away from worshiping only Yahweh. This is 1 Kings uh, 11, 1 through 3. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from Yah. So in this, they bring up Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter is obviously Egyptian. That means she's Hamitic, uh, from a descendant of Ham. Moab, 
uh, Ammon and Edom, all three of those um, are Semitic. So those those uh, those nations came through the line of of Shem. So even though they're Semitic and the Israelites are Semitic, it's still a difference that he wanted them specifically um, to stay within the Israelites because they also had different gods. And then Sidon and the Hittites were also Hamanic, uh descendants of Ham. Um, we also see Ruth, who accepted Yahweh and found favor in Israel because of the Hebrew Judahite name Naomi, even though Ruth was a Moabite woman and married into the tribe of Judah. We also know the notorious Delilah, who was a, a Hamite, uh, a Philistine, and she was no good for Samson the Danite. So two examples of foreign women, two very different conclusions. Moses was once saved by his wife Zipporah, who Zipporah was of Semitic lineage, but not an Israelite. Um, but she saved him from being struck down by God himself. Uh, if you read through Exodus 4, you can find that. Um, both sons of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim, were half Egyptian through their mother. And God blessed them both as each was given a Hebrew Israelite tribe of their own after them. So in all these instances, as we can see, it has nothing to do with the foreigners being Gentile, Hamite, or skin complexion, and everything to do with these foreigners seducing the Hebrews away from God. This has always been Yahweh's ultimate plan to save as many souls that are willing to believe in him through his son, Yeshua. Moses was also shown to be righteous by marrying an African uh, a Hamite woman. Uh, if you look at Numbers 12, this was not seen as an abomination because his heart was fully in Yahweh. Moses was deemed righteous when God gave Moses' sister temporary leprosy, condemning her, turning her skin white as snow. So um, she spoke against his marriage to an African woman. Uh, this was this is a woman that was uh, that is not Zipporah. Um, we don't know her name, but both Aaron and uh, Miriam spoke out against her, and um, God rebuked them both. Both. So the only issue God had with the Hebrews marrying outside of Israel was that they often began worshiping the gods of those they married. It had absolutely nothing to do with ethnicity or complexion of the outsiders. So all, all of the Hebrews were dark-skinned peoples of Negroid descent initially, and this can still be seen among the genetic makeup of the tribes today. Look at the Judahites from the house of Judah, um, the Negroes in America. Um, you can still see we are clearly of Negroid descent in physical features, our athleticism, nose, eyes, lips, our hair, skin tone. Um, even though we're a lot lighter now than our ancestors, and um, we've been here in among the Gentile nations for 400 years. So it should also be noted that the, the early expeditions of the Spanish coming to the Americas did not have women on the ships with them. This is another reason likely the Taino or Boricua natives gave their daughters initially, but eventually many were also taken by force as wives as the true intentions of the Spaniards was revealed. By 1518, a smallpox epidemic had arisen killing 90% of the remaining natives who had not been killed through warfare and harsh enslavement. Just 500 of the native Taino Hebrew population was left by 1548 in the West Indies. This is also a very important note to consider as well, that all these indigenous Americans were very susceptible to many new diseases. 
their Hebrew or Jewish customs protected them physically and certainly spiritually from many diseases because they kept themselves physically clean by holding to their Jewish rites, even in the Americas. So this passage says, their rites and ceremonies, as well as their language, form one of the main arguments in favor of this theory of descent. Circumcision prevailed among the, among the Indians. They often bathed in rivers and streams. They refrained from touching the dead and from tasting blood. They had definite fast days. Marriage with sisters-in-law was permitted if they were childless widows. Wives were discarded for new helpmates. They also sacrificed first fruits on high mountains and under shady trees. They had temples and carried a holy ark before them in time of war. They were also, like the ten tribes, inclined to idol worship. And this is Meyer Kaiserling, um, Christopher Columbus and the Participation of the Jews in the Spanish and Portuguese Discoveries of 1894. So the Hebrew customs and religion and language was noticeable and found throughout the various isles of the West Indies. So this passage says, by way of illustrating the method of miscellaneous affinities, we will follow our author yet a step further. From Cuba, he, he passes to Haiti, the true form of which name, he tells us, is Katin Tetakuth. He supposes it to be derived from the bold Israelite who first reached the island. At any rate, it is pure Hebrew, though we are not enlightened as to its meaning. The Yuna River, which rolls its golden sands through the great eastern valley of Haiti, bears the name of the prophet Jonah, the Yaqui, that of the, the patriarch Jacob. As for the peninsula of Samana, that is named from the Midianite chief Zalmuna, the river Hyena or Jaina on whose banks the ruins of Buenaventura still mark the mines of Columbus, is named from Aina Fountain, Carib, Canoe, and Cacique, Macana, Club, and Aji, Chili Pepper, are alike referred to a Jewish origin. And this is Edward John Payne, History of the New World Called America, 1899. The tribe of Manasseh, or uh, Cuba, were also considered Taina, Tainos, or Siboni, they also received Jacob's blessing of Joseph. So this is Genesis 48, 17 through 20. It says, but Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, he said, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. I know, my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother will become even greater, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, May God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. So here we see both tribes being given their blessing, and we know from the first scripture quoted um, of Genesis 49 that Joseph would be very successful. Even so, Jacob puts Ephraim before Manasseh. Moses also blessed Joseph before he passed away. And so this is what he says. This is Deuteronomy 33, verse 17. His glory is like the firstling of his bullock, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. With them he shall push the people together to the ends of the earth, 
and they are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. Okay, so now before I get into this meaning, um, I want to talk about this term unicorn. Um, considering what most people will think of today when, when using that word, this term comes up a few times throughout ancient Hebrew Israelite writings in older translations of the scripture. The word unicorn has changed drastically over time. The 1828 Noah Webster's Dictionary defines the unicorn as an animal with one horn, the monoceros. This name is often replied to, applied to the rhinoceros. So this also makes sense of the monoceros um, unicorn constellation. Usually the term unicorn is referred to and thought of as a single horn, but as we see from the text, Moses states plural regarding the horns of the unicorn or the rhinoceros. This is because it's a metaphor that represents both Ephraim and Manasseh. And as we noted, um, Ephraim would become greater than Manasseh. So Moses is using the rhino in the statement to symbolize them both, as one horn is typically larger than the other. It should also be noted that although all rhinos don't have two horns, the African rhinoceros species uh, does and that is likely what they would have been accustomed to con considering Israel borders Africa and is on the African uh, tectonic plate. So Moses then prophesied that Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh would push the peoples, which is Israel, to the ends of the earth, um, which is what we see. The 10 tribes were led by Ephraim and Manasseh as they left Assyria and migrated the house of Israel into the Americas where Joseph eventually wound up in the islands.